listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 315, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 16, Paragraphs 316 to 324. 316. In order that the will of the Most High and of the Most Blessed Mary might coincide in these decrees, it was necessary that the Great Lady should first receive a new measure of science and insight into the most hidden counsels of His providence, by which all the affairs of his creatures are arranged in weight and measure. Wisdom 11.21 And all their means and ends in highest equity and propriety. For this purpose, the Most Holy Mary received on this occasion a most clear insight in all that was to be done and preordained by the divine power in the church militant. She saw the most hidden reason for all that was to be done. How many and which of the apostles were to die before she should pass from this life? the labors they were to undertake for the name of the Lord, the reason why all this should be so according to the secret judgments of God and the predestination of saints, and why they should thus shed their blood for the planting of the church, just as the Lord and Redeemer had shed his for its foundation in his passion and death. She understood also how, through her own compassion and sorrow, at seeing the sufferings of the apostles and the followers of Christ, she could compensate herself for not being allowed to take upon herself their sufferings as she desired, for this momentary labor could not be spared them if they were to reach the eternal reward in store for them. 2 Corinthians 4.17 To afford the great lady an opportunity for this kind of merit, she was informed of the near death of St. James and the imprisonment of St. Peter, but not of his liberation by an angel. She understood also that the Lord portioned out to the apostles and the faithful that kind of suffering or martyrdom, which corresponded with each one's grace and strength of soul. 3.17 In order to satisfy in all things the most ardent charity of this purest mother, the Lord permitted her to fight anew all the battles with the dragons of hell, and gain over them victories and triumphs which the rest of the mortals shall never attain. By this means she was to crush their head and humble their pride, weakening their forces and breaking their strength, which they were mustering against the faithful. God renewed in her all his gifts and participations in his divine attributes, and each of the three persons gave her his blessings. The holy angels brought her back to the cynical in the way as they had brought her to the Empyrean heaven, 
As soon as she found herself recovered from her ecstasy, she prostrated herself with her face upon the ground in the form of a cross, and with most tender tears and incredible humility, thanked the Almighty for this new blessing conferred upon her in answer to her most humble petitions. For some time she conferred with her holy angels concerning the mysteries and necessities of the Church, in order to attend to its most pressing needs. It seemed advisable to prepare and encourage the apostles for coming trouble, since the common enemy was to direct his main battle against them. For this purpose she spoke to St. Peter, St. John, and the rest in Jerusalem, advising them of many particulars that were to happen to them and to the whole church, confirming the report of the conversion of St. Paul, and telling them of the zeal with which he was preaching the name of his Master and Lord. 3.18 To those apostles and disciples who were not in Jerusalem, she sent angels in order to notify them of the conversion of St. Paul, and in order to prepare and encourage them with the same good counsels as those in Jerusalem. She sent a special angelic messenger to warn St. Paul of the intended assaults of the devil, and to animate and confirm him with the hope of divine assistance in his tribulations. Obediently, the angels fulfilled all these errands with their accustomed celerity, manifesting themselves in visible forms to the apostles and disciples. All of them were exceedingly consoled and encouraged by these favors of the Most Blessed Mary, and each one answered through the same envoys, sending humble acknowledgment and offering themselves to die for the honor of their Redeemer and Master. St. Paul especially showed his gratitude and his answer, for his desire of seeing and thanking his protectress urged him to demonstrate his devotion in a more fervent manner. He was at the same time in Damascus, preaching and disputing in the synagogues, although soon after he went to Arabia to preach. But from there he afterwards came to Damascus a second time, as I shall relate further on. 3.19 St. James the Great was farther away than any of the others. He was the first one to leave Jerusalem, and having preached some days in Judea, he departed for Spain. For this journey he embarked at Joppe, which is now called Jaffa, in the year 35, in the month of August, called Sextilis, one year and five months after the Passion of the Lord, eight months after the martyrdom of St. Stephen, and five months before the conversion of St. Paul, all according to what I said in the 11th and 14th chapters of this last part. Sailing from Jaffa, St. James touched at Sardinia, and shortly afterwards arrived in Spain, disembarking at the part of Carthagenia, where he began his preaching. He tarried but a short time in Carthagena, and guided by the Spirit of the Lord, he took his way to Granada, where he was made aware that the harvest was bountiful, and the occasion opportune for beginning his labors for his master. And so it really turned out. 320. Before going farther, I will state that St. James was one of the most intimate and beloved disciples of the great mistress of the world. Though he was related to her, as was also St. John, his brother, not much of this predilection could be seen in her exterior conduct, on account of the impartiality of the most prudent lady, already referred to in chapter 11. With regard to St. John, the whole apostolic college knew that the Lord had appointed him as the son of the most pure mother. Therefore, the most prudent lady was not under such restrictions in regard to exterior tokens of love, which St. John, as she was, with St. James and the other apostles. But interiorly, the Blessed Lady loved St. James with special tenderness, as I have already stated in the second part, and she manifested it in extraordinary favors, conferred upon him during his life until his martyrdom. 
St. James deserved these favors on account of his special piety and affection toward Mary, distinguishing himself therein from all the rest. He needed the protection of the great queen because he was of a generous and magnanimous heart, and of a most fervent spirit being resistlessly drawn on to offer himself for labors and dangers. Hence he was the first one to go forth preaching the faith, and the first of all the apostles to suffer martyrdom, while on the missionary journeys he was indeed like the lightning flash, like the son of thunder, as he was called and designated by the brethren upon entering into the apostolate. 3.21 During his labors in Spain, the demons raised up incredible persecutions through the unbelieving Jews. Nor were those of small import which he afterwards met in Italy and Asia Minor, whither he had returned to preach and to suffer his martyrdom. This he underwent in Jerusalem, having in the few years of his apostolate traveled in many distant countries, as it cannot be my purpose to relate all that St. James suffered in his extensive journeys. I will record only what concerns more closely this history. In general, I have understood that the great Queen of Heaven watched over him with a special love, for reasons already stated, and that through her angels she defended and rescued him from the many and great dangers, consoled him and comforted him many times, sending information and advice, such as he needed more particularly and oftener than the other apostles during his short life. Many times also Christ our Savior sent angels from heaven to defend his great apostle and to carry him from one region to another during his missionary travels. 3.22 During that time of his preaching in these Spanish kingdoms, the great queen, besides many other tokens of her love, twice favored St. James by a personal visit in order to defend him in his tribulations and dangers. In Saragossa happened one of these visits or apparitions, which is no less certain than celebrated in the world and which cannot be denied without doing violence to a well-known fact corroborated and witnessed by great miracles and the traditions of 1600 and more years. Of this I will speak in the next chapter. Of the other miraculous visit, I do not know whether there is any record in Spain, for it happened not so publicly. As was revealed to me, it took place in Granada, and in the following manner. The Jews had in that city some synagogues maintained there ever since the time of their first coming from Palestine to Spain. For on account of the fertility of the soil and the facility of communication with Palestine by sea, they could live there more comfortably. When St. James came to preach in Granada, they were already informed of what concerned Christ our Redeemer. Although some of them desired to become acquainted with his doctrine and the grounds upon which it rested, yet others, the great number, having been influenced by the devil not to believe and to reject his teaching, would not permit his doctrines to be preached even to the heathens as being contrary to the rights of the Jews and of Moses, and as endangering Judaism, if once received by the Gentiles. Stirred on by this diabolical deceit, the Jews hindered the faith from spreading among heathens, who, knowing Christ to be a Jew and seeing his own countrymen and co-religionists persecuting him as a false deceiver, hesitated in becoming his adherents in the beginnings of the church. 3.23 When St. James therefore came to preach in Granada, the Jews commenced their opposition, proclaiming him as an adventurer, a deceiver, the author of false sects, a ledger domain, an enchanter. St. James brought twelve disciples with him in imitation of his master. As all of them persisted in preaching, the hatred of the Jews and of their followers increased, so that they wished to assassinate the disciples. And they really killed one of them, who in his ardent zeal had opposed the Jews. But as the holy apostle and as his disciples 
not only feared death, but courted suffering for the name of Christ, they continued to preach the faith with still greater zeal. Having thus labored for many days and converted many of the infidels of the city and province, the fury of the Jews rose to a higher pitch. They seized them all and led them forth, bound and fettered, beyond the city walls, and there likewise chained their feet, for they considered them to be magicians and sorcerers who might otherwise escape. As their enemies made preparations to decapitate them all immediately, the holy apostles ceased not to call upon the Most High and upon his virgin mother, praying as follows, Most holy Mary, mother of my Lord, the Redeemer of Jesus Christ, extend thy favor in this hour to thy humble servant. Pray for me, sweetest and kindest mother, and for these faithful professors of the faith. If it is the will of the Most High, that we here give our lives for the glory of his holy name, do thou ask, O lady, that my soul may be received in his presence. Remember me, most clement mother, and bless me in the name of him who chose thee among all creatures. Receive and sacrifice my resignation to the misfortune of not seeing thee, if this is to be the last day of my life. O Mary, O Mary. 3.24 These last words St. James repeated many times. But from her oratory in the cenacle, where she was favored by a special clear vision, the great queen heard all and saw what was passing with her most beloved apostle, St. James. Thus informed, she was moved with tenderest compassion at the tribulation of her servant and at his clamors. She felt still more sorrow at being so far away. And as she knew that nothing is difficult to the divine power, she entertained the loving desire of helping and defending the apostle in his danger as she knew, moreover, that this apostle was to be the first to shed his blood for her divine son. Her compassion became more vehement, but she did not ask the Lord or the angels to bring her to the place where St. James then was, because her admirable prudence prevented her from making such a petition, for she knew that the divine providence would need no such reminder on her part, nor fail in anything that was necessary, in asking such miracles as long as she lived in the flesh, she exercised highest discretion and restraint, always subjecting her desires to the will of the Lord. This concludes our reading today for day number 315. We have been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 16, Paragraphs 316 to 324. In the very first paragraph we heard today, that of number 316, we heard how Mary was aware of the near death of St. James, the imprisonment of St. Peter, and so forth and that the apostles and the faithful would suffer a kind of martyrdom, which corresponded with each one's grace and strength of soul. In some way, it almost seems fitting that the apostles are martyred. In a sense, they share in the suffering and passion and death of Jesus. And as they weren't there on Calvary, except St. John, well, this is their martyrdom with Christ that as they shied away from being there and around Christ in that moment, well, now they don't shy away from proclaiming him to others, even to the point of death. We hear also about the magnificent events in the life of St. James, and I really look forward to the next chapter in which we will hear that of the pillar, Our Lady of the Pillar story, that bilocation, that great bilocation of Our Lady. But we also hear how St. James is favored by Our Lady. We hear about the tribulations and dangers that he faces, especially as he undergoes his missionary labors. There are miracles that take place. 
Maria of Agreda is quick to point out to us that these have the stronghold of tradition, over 1,600 years of people sharing these stories. And so for her, this is a mark of ready belief in these occurrences. St. James was proclaiming the Christian faith. Others viewed it a threat, but he didn't hold back. They were willing to risk their lives. As we think about the courage of the apostles, maybe makes us wonder about our own courage. Do we stand up? Do we proclaim Christ in times in which it is unpopular? We also hear today that Mary knew that this apostle, St. James, was to be the first to shed his blood for her divine son. So he's the first martyr. Not sure I knew that, actually. I don't know if I should admit that, but of course I know the apostles are martyred. I just didn't know who was the first martyr, but according to Maria Vagreda, we hear today, it is St. James. There's something very tender about the prayer of St. James as he cries out, O Mary, O Mary. He lets the name of Jesus' mother be on his lips. He's corresponded with her in some miraculous fashions, and this is why he repeats her name, and God allows her in so many distance, so many far places away, to hear the cry of one of her beloved children. And Mary, from her place in heaven, hears our cry when we cry out, O Mary, O Mary. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you. And Mary, pray for you.